In every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, uh, and with the help of guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, I explore the comics, films, and television series that have spun out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the Whedonverse. Uh, back with me this week, Watcher in Training. Do you still qualify as a Watcher in Training? Uh, I don't think so. No? Are you a full-blown Watcher now? No, I don't think... I haven't been involved in anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, free, freelance watcher, yes. maybe? I don't know. Melanie Scala. Melanie, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, how you been doing? Uh, surviving. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what we do now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. On my, uh, um, on my other show, uh, my co-host Arlo, uh, started off our most recent episode by saying how are you doing man and i was like you know it's kind of at this point in time in this era in this this epoch that we're living in i don't really think that's an appropriate question to ask anymore yeah it's basically um (laughs) yeah right i mean we're here so yeah um well i mean i hope you are surviving at least pleasantly Yes. More or less. I just beat a video game, so. Oh, excellent! Very exciting. <laughs> excellent. Uh, that's that is a fantastic way of pushing back the darkness. I love it. What video game? Uh, Subnautica. Oh, I have not played that one. Yeah, it's very bad to play in the middle of the night with the lights out. But, <laughs> okay. Uh other than that, it's really fun. You're like, there's all these. You're on a crowd. Uh, planet that's uh infected with an illness you like you crash landed there and you can't leave because um not only have you crash landed and you don't have anything to to leave on but uh the alien species that used to live there that was studying the virus has like a super weapon that shoots everything out of the sky which is why you crashed why you crashed yeah so you have to get materials to make stuff and survive lots of scary monsters. Excellent. So, (laughs) so really it was just a a reality show you were playing. (laughs) I mean, that, that all sounded like just today. (laughs) No, that's cool. That's cool. It's a, it's cool that here in the 300th year of this pandemic um that you're taking you're finding joy i assume joy you seemed like you enjoyed the game i did uh, in a game that um deals with 
viruses and plagues and post-apocalyptic shit and uh i well, the be- fictional ones are way more fun than the real ones right right well i began the pandemic when this whole thing started i was like you know what i'm i'm finally going to play the last of us which i had resisted for so many years um and everybody else was like don't play that now it's so bleak and it's all about you know a pandemic that wipes out half the planet and everything and i was like no 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 i i think uh i will immerse myself in this experience to try and get through it and uh a, uh, it became one of my favorite video games of all time, one of my favorite pieces of entertainment of all time. Uh, and B, the immersion therapy worked for a little while. I think, uh, I don't know, the first year of the pandemic, I just immersed myself in the darkness and went with the flow. Uh, but now I'm here, and now, I don't know, <laughs> now I'm looking for pleasant distractions. Yeah, I went back to uh, Stardew Valley after I finished. Yeah, the I was like, let's do something fluffy now. There you go. There you go. I just played Stray, which is the. This is dismissive and uh, broadly overgeneralizing, but it is the uh, cat simulator game. Right. That's so good. It's so fun. Even that has a post-apocalyptic aspect to it, but it doesn't matter because you're just playing as a cat and it's awesome. With a little robot buddy. With a little robot buddy, yeah. Um, I have to say, the most unrealistic thing about the game is not the sci-fi setting, not all the cool robots that you interact with. Uh, It's the fact that that cat did not totally lose its shit when a little robot put a vest on it. (laughs) My My cat would not put up with that. Maybe it's part ragdoll because my my cat oh. Zelda, she will let you do anything to her. Oh my goodness! As long as she knows that it is attention. <laughs> yeah, my torty will not. I mean, she wants attention, but only on her strictest of terms. Basically, uh, talking to other cats counts as attention. Uh, sitting next to her counts as attention. Wow. Looking at her counts as attention. <laughs> Being in another room kind of counts as attention if you talk in cat voice. Oh, my goodness. She just basically, David, my fiance, he was, I was sleeping on the couch earlier, and he's like, she's just curled up next to your face purring. <laughs> you're, you're not even doing anything. You're completely oblivious, and she is happy. Man, must be nice. Ember, are you listening? Are you taking notes? Jeez. All right. Nobody tuned in to listen to this stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we're going to be discussing three episodes of uh, the second season of Angel today. And the the first two episodes are sort of uh, companion pieces, I guess, like maybe two sides of a coin a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about that. The third one we're going to talk about is actually more of a prologue <laughs> to the final three episode arc of the season, which I'm going to be covering next time with Johnny. With Johnny yes. So I don't know. This is an, this is an interesting grouping. Um, and uh, who knows how much meat we'll find on these bones, but we're going to give it a shot. So yeah, I, I think disharmony and a dead end are kind of like a palate cleanser from the heaviness of yeah. the previous arc before we go into this 
very bizarre arc. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right, well let me let me give a spoiler warning. Conversations with dead people. This is a review a rewatch and review podcast, but um unlike I think most other rewatch review podcasts, we are going to discuss the plots, characters and themes not only of each of these episodes um that are conveniently listed in the title up there above, uh but also within the context of the series as a whole. And actually Buffy, basically there's going to be spoilers. There's going to be a lot of spoilers, um, potentially spoilers for eh, anything in the broad Whedon universe. You never know what these topics will bring up. So where I'm going is uh, if you have not watched at least Angel by this point, uh, preferably Buffy and Angel, uh, press pause, go watch those, go, go get right with the universe and then come back. We'll be here waiting for you patiently. Anyways, now that we've gotten that out of the way, Melanie, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start off with uh, episode 217, Disharmony, which originally aired on April 17th, 2001, uh, written by David Fury, directed by Fred Keller. And Melanie, take it away. What, do, uh, what are your thoughts on Disharmony? Um, Every time I watch it, I have like a different feeling, like... Sometimes I, I really am just like, why why did they do, even do this? <laughs> just, uh. And then sometimes I'm like, I really like this episode. <laughs> so this time was an I really like this episode. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I really uh, enjoy Harmony as a character, mm-hmm. particularly compared to like all the pathos and drama that that goes on on angel right harmony is kind of just like a little antidote to that (laughs) she's something all right (laughs) she's something um you don't need to do a whole lot of thinking with harmony no no however i would okay so yes i'm also a harmony fan um i i wasn't (laughs) when harmony was just harmony i wasn't a huge harmony fan but uh, I believe it was in, uh, well, it was the, we saw her get turned in the, at the end of graduation, right? Graduation mm-hmm. day part two. But we'd met her as a vampire in the, I believe it was the season four opener on Buffy. Um, that just flipped the whole character for me. I, I, I adored the character after that because she's just so ridiculous. And yes. unlike a lot, so vampirism in the Whedonverse is a little, you know, six of this half a dozen of that uh but i think most frequently we think in terms of vampirism in terms of how much of the original host personality is present and how much is the sort of demon possession aspect so many arguments and debates have happened over who and what spike and angel are compared to each other harmony is just harmony and always has been there is no new aspect to harmony at all uh, she, she's slightly nicer. She a oh, slightly nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess she, she has come as close as harmony perhaps ever will to learning a valuable lesson. <laughs> but, um, anyways, Although, no, ultimately not so much. Well, yeah. Uh, Mercedes McNabb, uh, does a phenomenal job with the character and particularly in this episode, something that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a minute since I've, watched 
the season one or the season four opener. It's been a minute since I've seen Harmony, but I feel like in this episode, I certainly noticed more than I recall ever noticing uh, in Mercedes McNabb's performance. Um, and actually a lot of characters do it in this episode. There's a lot of good eye acting. Yes. Happening. Lots of, uh, fantastic facial work. Yes. Uh, like Angel gets a moment where, uh, Cordelia is saying, you know, I mean, it could have been, could have been worse. At least you like didn't sleep with Darla or whatever. And, uh, He's like, oh, no, you know, I would never do that. And he does the shifty eye side to side. I was that was a great little moment. But Harmony gets multiple times. Like I'm thinking particularly of when she complains to Cordelia about starving and Cordelia's like Cordelia says, oh, you, let's get some pizza. Her the look on Harmony's face <laughs> at that. I, I don't know how such a ridiculous, like cartoonishly comical character uh, can just for a fraction of a second have a genuinely like a look of genuine pathos <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know it was beautiful and she does that two or three times in this episode so it's really nice to to see that this is there's acting involved here it's not just she gets to come on set and be ridiculous and say the dumbest things there's also acting involved and i think she did a great job she definitely does and this episode kind of mirrors her arc on the series as a whole right. she comes in and she's kind of goofy and and a little dumb and uh she kind of tries to to go along with the group but ultimately you know her her lesser angels went out and she screws the group over yes i want to ask um i mean this kind of jumping to the end of the episode but what is up? <laughs> what the hell is up? What is the gang thinking? Like, Harmony comes out and she's like, okay, I've scoped it out. There's like maybe a hundred vampires inside. And I, I know the the hook of that moment is, you know, she's she's misleading them. She's lying to them so that they'll come in. She's setting the trap. But when the trap includes, oh, it's the four of us with a couple of crossbows and an axe against a hundred vampires. Come on. Yeah. That, that is, you'd think they'd go back for reinforcements or right? something. Or at least go get that flamethrower that Wesley <laughs> and Gunn were talking about earlier. But I have the biggest problem with the crossbows. Cause you know, you you have one bolt and then you have to reload. Right. Right. Why? Why does anybody in the Whedonverse use crossbows? It's uh, just because it looks cool. Yeah, yeah. My question about those crossbows, I mean, it's definitely a cool moment when Cordelia, you know, gets the drop on Harmony and has the crossbow and Harmony's yes. like, oh, it's pointed at my neck. You're so stupid. Oh, no, this is to distract you. This one's aimed at your heart or whatever. It's just a cool moment to see Cordy with two of the little, like, pistol crossbows. But, A, you're right. They're one shot. <laughs> Um, and B, where the hell did she get those? Where did those come from? Like, I'll grant you, maybe we saw her hold, I don't remember, but maybe we saw her holding one as they were first going into the place, but where'd she pull that second one out of, and how is it loaded? No idea. <laughs> Whatever. It's like when uh, 
on on Buffy when in season seven when she pulls out her her cell phone and you're like where was that right like yeah. she reaches behind her back to pull it out but there's no way that she's like tumbling and right. all this flips and everything and it's just like tucked in the back of her waistband right yeah anyways um yeah so go back for reinforcements although it turned out not to be a big deal uh, once they killed a couple of vampires, the vast majority of the people in there fled. So good job, guys. Yeah. Maybe <sighs> that was their plan all along. Maybe that was it. <laughs> yes. We'll intimidate them. Uh, all right. So the real hook of this episode, the, the meat of this episode, I mean, as much as this episode could be said to have meat. The message of the, this episode is we're not the same people we were in high school and pyramid schemes are evil. <laughs> like that's that's the theme of the episode, but um, in terms of the larger sort of arc going on this season, we get Angel struggling to reintegrate back into the group to find his place, and this actually is something that's going to play out over. This is a theme that plays out over. Well, actually, all three of these episodes, the the notion of like who are we now. What? Uh, how does this group dynamic work now after everything that's happened in this season? And, and in there this, are a lot of, of moments of of Wes, you know, he he's clearly a little uncomfortable in like being the boss, right? To his boss, yeah, or his former boss. But he's trying really hard, and Angel's trying really hard, and the trying hard is actually making it harder on them. Right? Yeah. It it uh, we briefly got an example of how good a leader Wesley was for the group when Angel was not involved. Now that he's back, it's become super awkward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually, in this episode, Angel's uh, toughest bridge to unburn uh, is Cordelia. Indeed. Um, and I want to talk about. So we get the typically blunt uh cordelia line of you know you and i we're not friends um which has its uh which has its mirror uh like that circles back around by the end of the episode with cordelia saying you know it's nothing personal i'm evil we're still friends right um but i i want to bring harmony in as the I want to discuss Cordelia's attitude towards Angel and towards Harmony. Okay. Um, I don't think this is problematic. I think it's just going to be interesting to discuss. Um, I think it's interesting that Cordelia's, correct me if I'm wrong, her last real interaction with Harmony um, was in The Wish. That sounds about right. When, yeah, Harmony was being a bitch. Yeah, when Harmony, like, after Cordelia had the failed relationship with Xander and Harmony and the rest of the Cordettes uh, were, like, super cruel Yeah. to her over that. Um, I, I know Harmony was around again after that. I'm, there, there might have been some minor interactions, but I feel like that's the last significant time that they ever spoke. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that her reaction to seeing harmony back in her life is so, you know, effusive. Oh my God. It's so great to see you. It makes I, sense I can see, I can see you have an explanation. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, 
both in the the sort of high school mean girl thing where um, once you like you like um, see them again and you're like oh uh, I've got to get in good right away or else I'm gonna gonna get fucked up again okay and also just like there are a lot of people from high school who have like I don't remember talking to them in high school. I don't remember ever interacting with them except for like in class, like for projects or whatever. We were not friends, but since high school, they've been like, "Oh my god, it's so good to see you." Yeah. How, how are you doing? And I'm. It's like, I, I'm fine. Yeah. 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 It's, it's good to see you too. I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I, I've like I said, I don't think it's problematic. I think it's. I think there's a reasonable explanation. It is just in the context of the story that's being told here. It is, it is a contrast Mm -hmm. worth looking at, but yeah, I get the whole, you know, first of all, it's a few years later and you you're out of high school and you just, that's what you say when you run into old high school buddies or whatever. Plus there's the fact that Cordelia right now is feeling very alone and disconnected and everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that all makes sense. But when you contrast that, to her treatment of angel like she's very much not willing to give angel much of a break right now um and she is so eager to give harmony a break Um, i think it's a little um uh displacement um she part of her really wants angel and things to be back the way it was but it's so fresh, the hurt, and um, it's just with everything that's uh, gone down, it, it's hard to to trust him again. Yeah. But uh, she wants to, so she projects that all onto Harmony instead. Yeah. Plus, the friendship between Harmony was a different kind of friendship than the one that she's had with absolutely angel so yeah um okay all good that all makes sense um what else did we get in here uh did you notice did anybody else notice certainly people have commented on this there's probably academic papers written about this any of my uh asb plus listeners out there uh let me know but uh, Harmony first shows up in this episode dressed very much like Buffy. She's... I feel like a lot of her wardrobe in season four was like a play on, on Buffy's So in, in season five. But also the previous episode that she was on Buffy was Crush, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Drew Buffy right. uh, Harmony thing. Are the very last episode, the very last appearance of Drew, I believe. Yeah. Uh, on Buffy, yeah. I think, I think, didn't that come after? No, maybe that came before this. I don't know. Anyways, doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah, so that was her last Buffy episode. <laughs> yeah, and so um, she's she's fresh off uh, this dumping that she's been uh, beforehand. She's been playing, you know. Slayer games in bed with Spike. Oh, yeah. It's probably uh, she was getting positive feedback for dressing like Buffy. Yeah. Okay. All right. I see it. 
Yeah, because when uh when I started up this episode, I was like, why is she? I mean, she's got the like black top with sort of the lacy sleeves and the tight leather pants. I mean, is she going for a Buffy look? I think she's probably not aware she's going. She's got a Buffy look, but she's definitely got a Buffy yeah. look. Okay. All right. Um, what else? Anything else in this episode? Um. Well, I was looking at the uh, shooting script. Okay. Um, there were two things that uh, stood out to me. One is in the scene where Angel and Wes burst into Cordy's apartment. Uh-huh. Um, and, and Angel, in his attempt to win Cordy over, is like, well, maybe we should, you know, trust Cordelia. Maybe Harmony's okay. Wes kind of takes his his uh crossbow and points it at angel yes i noticed that oh okay all right excellent just seem you know they they inhabit their characters so so fully at this point that you know what seem out of place at all it was just perfect i think some part of me wondered if that was the case because angel reacts to that and i guess so this would be david boreanaz reacting to that by kind of ro- like almost rolling his eyes a little bit and like just pushing the mm-hmm. pushing the crossbow down out of the way or whatever so I, I remember in that particular moment thinking was that I think I was probably imagining that that was a David Boreanaz ad lib of just like oh god whatever <laughs> but no that's cool that's good to know and there was a um, a scene that got cut presumably for time of Harmony in Mexico basically doing the pyramid scheme. Like she's trying to speak broken Spanish to some <laughs> vampires about um uh turn dos eat or turn turn uno eat dos. Right, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it is. <laughs> I think it's turn dos eat the rest or whatever. From her remedial Spanish class that her and Cordelia talk about. Yes. Nice. Nice. I wonder, would the timing have allowed, if if that had happened, would the timing have allowed her in Mexico to meet up with, was it Jonathan and Andrew? Andrew? Didn't they run away to Mexico after? They did indeed. Um, That was, let's see, season six and seven were seasons four and three and no, four three and four so uh so this theoretically, is theoretically yeah this is a little before that if she hangs out if she spends any time in mexico you can imagine there was a one shot of the comic somewhere <laughs> where uh jonathan and andrew ran into harmony hmm um, I imagine it would be a lot like the uh, the Xander Harmony slap fight of season four of Buffy. <laughs> oh man, good times. Um, let's see, what else have we got here? Um, oh, Willow. Uh, this is the first of, I believe, if my count is correct, three Willow guest appearances on Angel. Yes. Um. So that was cool. It was it was cool to see her with a super 
tense, awkward phone call moment. (laughs) Also, this is very small, like, but she like swallows her toothpaste. Like, I don't understand the whole brushing teeth part anyway. Like, according to the script, she was supposed to spit it out into her towel, which also weird. Like, who brushes their teeth in their room when they don't have a sink in their room? Yeah. Now, hang on. You're right. She's in college. That was her in her dorm room. They don't have a bathroom in their dorm room. Like, there's a shared bathroom, like, down the hall, right? And during Hush, I think, there's a scene where she's brushing her teeth in the, the bathroom, in the hall bathroom interesting i had that part hadn't even registered the part that bugs me and people do this in tv and movies a lot they brush their teeth and then just swallow and like all right so here's an interesting uh, this is going to completely derail us uh (laughs) bear with me for just a moment listeners please uh so I recently had somebody, oh, I'll just out her. My wife just asked me very recently. She was like, why do you, do you rinse your mouth after you brush your teeth? And I was like, yeah, I brush my teeth. I spit the toothpaste out. I rinse my mouth out. She's like, I thought you weren't supposed to do that. And I was like, I think mouthwash you're not supposed to rinse afterwards. I think when you use mouthwash, you don't like rinse your mouth out afterwards. You let the mouthwash stay but when you're brushing your teeth, yeah, you rinse your mouth. Yeah, technically, um, toothpaste is not really good for you. Like, if you swallow it, it's, right. it, uh, it can have some some uh, negative effects. Well, that's that's where Dark Willow comes from, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. Huh. But um, yeah, yeah, I um, I don't rinse afterwards, but I like get all the toothpaste off my toothbrush that hasn't like been brushed into my teeth and, and then right. Refresh. Yeah. 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 Get more of the tooth, tooth, okay. re- toothpaste residue out, but you don't, I'm but sorry, you don't, people, we don't really need to be talking about <laughs> yeah, <no>. routine. <laughs> let's, let's get back to the show. Um, anyways, wow. There've been so many weird asides on this, uh, <laughs> show, but that might take the cake. Uh, okay. So, there's some other fun stuff that happens in this episode. Um, I, I love, uh, first of all, pineapple and tandoori chicken pizza sounds amazing. I would eat that in a heartbeat. Definitely. Um, I love Lauren's purple Liberace look. Yes. So, so hot. I and also I, thought it was adorable when he called her his little cacophony. Cacophony. Yes. That I love that. And then Harmony was like, that's a pretty name. What does that mean? <laughs> um, I love the uh, the Wesson Gun friendship. Yeah. Like, starting when when Angel left the team, mm-hmm. they just had this amazing friendship, and then through no fault of her own, it gets ruined because of Fred, and it makes me so sad. Like they kind of get back into it in season five, but um, it's never the same as it is at this moment where they're just completely. They completely trust each other. They uh, have like hangouts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's I've, I've had a couple of moments of that over these past few episodes, seeing the, the genuine bond between those two characters and, and remembering that, you know, this is kind of as good as it ever 
it's yeah it's headed for some dark places i feel I, i've rewatched angel many times uh this rewatch uh, because i'm taking it so slow and i'm looking at each episode so carefully this is the the rewatch where i'm like i man it's it hurts me to think of continuing because I know what's coming up for particularly Wesley um, and Cordelia. Like I don't want to see those things happen. Yeah. But anyways, that's where the great performance has come from. So, all right. So we already talked about the themes of this. We're not the same people we were in high school. Pyramid schemes are evil. That whole Doug thing. <laughs> uh was really good was genuinely good um i it's a shame that that was such a throwaway like villain it barely it doesn't even really qualify as monster of the week it's so barely a part of the episode but it's such a fun idea and that doug guy was such a schmendrick <laughs> that <laughs> i kind of wish we'd gotten maybe a couple of episodes of that nonsense but Um, the last thing in my notes is uh, throwing the big ups to Charisma. You can see her cheerleading skills really showcased when, um, like, her real-life cheerleading skills. When Harmony hits her and they, they have her kind of go flying. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a cheerleader as a kid, so I was very appreciative of, you can see, like, how that had influenced her her movement. Yeah there and uh, when she kind of is completely supported by her abs while she's double fist in the the uh crossbows the, the magic crossbows yeah <laughs> yeah um so she, that was really impressive to me yeah we don't that's cool we don't talk about uh, charisma carpenter's like physical performance enough i don't think and she definitely I mean, I don't know how much any of the actors performed their own stunts. I know some of them liked to whenever they could, but uh, I couldn't do that. I'm glad that you mentioned the using her abs to support her whole weight while she's holding this. I I can't do that. So, but then yeah, I, I don't think I can either. Then I wasn't a cheerleader. So there you go. Um, okay, so move on. Moving Let's on to episode 218, Dead End. Originally aired April 24th, 2001, written by David Greenwalt, um, directed by James A. Contner, and uh, with songwriting credits by David Greenwalt. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, yeah, he wrote the song. Wait, really? He did. I yeah. did not know that. I knew that um, Christian Kane has it on his album. Oh, I didn't know it was on his album. It is on the Angel. Yeah. Like the Angel album, but... Um, yeah, that was actually uh, Christian Kane, obviously, performing that. Uh, he, I don't know if his band existed at that point, but he ha he has a band now mm -hmm. called Kane. Uh, not the greatest, not the most original name, but whatever. What are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, David Greenwald actually wrote the lyrics to that huh. song. I did so. not know that. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Eve, so Eve sings it when she sings for Lauren in season five really yeah i had no idea that's awesome um okay so in a <laughs> in a long and hallowed horror genre tradition 
Lindsay gets an evil hand. You can't, you can't tell, you cannot have a horror show for any length of time and not dip into the whole zombie hand thing and raise your hand, raise your non-zombie hand. <laughs> if your first thought, uh, when that was revealed was bad zombie arm. No cabin in the woods. Oh gosh. No, I didn't, I didn't catch that at all. Oh no. <laughs> well, it's obvious. It's most obvious call callback is to like evil dead too. Right. But, uh, I do want to talk about this. I don't I don't know if now is the right point in the discussion to get to this, but I, I want to have a longer discussion about whether or not the evil hand is actually evil. See, I it's not. Okay. It's just I like I'm not even sure that like the eye that that he the serial killer eye that he stabs out in the, in the cold open or whatever is uh evil i don't think any of the parts are evil right they are just unable to fully communicate the need for the the misery and pain of being a donor right a living donor of body parts right to end i actually hadn't thought of it in terms of the eye because the eye does come from a serial killer um and the thought of plunging a knife into anyone's eye even your own seems evil but i but you're right specifically the hand uh, i mean we're just talking about it now specifically the hand i don't think is evil because what is the only evil thing we see the hand do it's uh the sort of uh what the hell is that called Automatic writing. Automatic writing. Thank you. Where it's just writing kill, kill, kill over and over on the page. In a horror movie, that's a sign of something evil. In this, we eventually find out that uh, it's, um, I don't remember the character's name at this point. But anyways, the, the donor, the forced donor, uh, begging someone to kill him. Right. So the hand is not evil. It's not saying kill that guy. It's saying, you know, please kill me. Um, but that's never really addressed and I'm kind of glad it isn't because it allows us to have the glorious, uh, retirement speech that Lindsay gives in the boardroom, uh, the whole stop evil hand, stop it. I just can't control my evil hand. Uh, you never know what it's going to do. Never know what it's going to do. Fantastic. That whole scene is brilliant. So I'm glad whatever else goes on in the episode, as long as it gave us that, uh, it's all worth it. Yes. But what else does go on in the episode? Um, well, we've got uh, a lot of, a lot more awkwardness. Yes, um, continues. Between, uh, between the group, still trying to figure out how they're going to work together now. And uh, we get to see that mirrored with with Angel and and Lindsay having to work together, mm-hmm. and um, it, it gives both of them, I, as I understand it, they're the actors are very good friends. Yeah, and it gives both of them a chance to just like play around and act out and be goofy. Yeah, which is great. I especially love the scene where um, 
Angel is choking the parole officer, and Lindsay's like, "That's my lead." <laughs> yes, yeah, that and the the like. Lindsay is just so flustered by the fact that Angel is not like not coming for him or whatever. Right. He's he just can't not wrap his head around it. He's like, "Why? What? What are you? Why? Why aren't you attacking me?" <laughs> or whatever. And uh, when they finally get to the the secret lab or whatever angel's like what do you say let's just fight and, and christian kane's physical performance of the awkward like putting up his fists like oh okay are we about to fight and angel's like no get out of the way and he throws the axe into um good stuff that's fun stuff um and that just made me think of um the, the Lindsay's like in Lindsay's mind, um, he and Angel are nemeses. Mm -hmm. And Angel's just like, whatever, you're just a dude. Right. You're an annoying dude who gets in my way sometimes. But you're just a dude. Yeah. You're not my nemesis. Yes. Which... And, and that plays out in like all the way through season five. Yeah. So... I, I know I say at the top of every episode of this podcast, this is a spoiler podcast. We're going to spoil everything, but there's some stuff that I, I still tiptoe around. So don't feel beholden to tiptoe around this. I personally, am just going to try and be vague. There is a thing that happens with Lindsay. There's a, there's a Lindsay thing that pays off in the series finale. Um, that also involves Lauren. So the fact that in this episode, we find out that Lindsay has had a history of going to Caritas, um, which means presumably he's, you know, had readings before he sought quote unquote counsel from Lauren in the past. Um, that really makes the turn that that relationship takes by the end of the series, even more, I don't know what word to give it, brutal, tragic, traumatic. I don't know. It's a horrible, horrible thing that just like the whole, all the stuff coming up with Wesley and Cordy, I know people who have not seen the whole show right now are like, why would we continue watching this show? But uh, there's a lot of darkness and pain coming up. And the, the Lindsay Lorne thing, is that yeah. is on one hand it's really really better awesome for for Lorne than for for Lindsay like your heart kind of breaks for like even without knowing the history but knowing the history just makes it a little, little more twist of the knife yeah 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 I would argue if it's better for Lorne or Lindsay because <laughs> the tragedy of that isn't what happens to Lindsay it's the fact that Lorne is the one exactly. that has to do it but anyways. Um, yeah, so we get that bit of background on Lindsay. Um, and what other dark... Okay, so depending on how you look at it, this episode serves as either a reminder or the first sign that Cordelia, as a full human, is just not going to be able to sustain this whole vision thing. Right. For the long term. Yeah, um... This is, I assume, when she starts going to the doctors that they find out in birthday. Yeah. That she's been going for months and months trying to manage the, the migraines that come with with her visions. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, another great performance by uh, Charisma Carpenter. Uh, it's a it's a fine line that she walks in this between, um, you know, allowing the occasionally humorous aspects of the visions. I mean, the that sounds weird, but you know, the visions are sometimes the extreme, the extremity of the visions are sometimes sort of used as a laugh. Um, and there's, there are hints of that here, but, um, we also get charisma also does a lot of facial acting and, and showing how like, you know, this isn't, this isn't a case of, Oh man, this splitting headache, somebody get me, you know, what can I do for you? Get me a whole bottle of aspirin. It's not that kind of stuff. This is genuine. She's suffering. Yeah. Uh, and um, has been for a while and it's not going away. I am a lifelong migraine sufferer and I've definitely Same. had migraines where that before I, um, I, I've found rescue meds and preventative meds that helped me. Mm. And now I only get a few a year, but mm -hmm. it used to be like 15, 20 a month. Yeah. Same. And, um, there are definitely days where I was just like crying. It hurt so much. Yeah. No, uh, migraines, <laughs> migraines are no fucking joke. Um, yeah. So great performance by charisma carpenter. And, uh, also by David Boreanaz, who Angel, uh, this continues, Angel is still trying to find his footing in the group. I mean, this episode is all about, this really focuses in on how everybody is feeling displaced and, and disjointed or whatever. And even though, was it the previous episode that ended with the buying clothes thing or yeah. is that this episode okay okay so even though we had that funny oh they've kissed and made up thing where he buys cordelia a whole bunch of clothes um there's still awkwardness going on here and angel is really doesn't know how to deal with cordy angel doesn't understand like he's not a feelings guy yeah he wants he wants things to be very uh 1950s we don't talk about it it's <laughs> right. not there yeah 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 um, um so so not only having to deal with his own feelings of of he, he's legit sad that that like cordy told him they're not friends mm -hmm. you heard it last episode when he was telling west he was like she said we're not friends and and uh he, he's got to deal with all that and he's got to deal with like figuring out how to, how to fix that and, and what Cordy would, would uh, respond to. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, that whole conversation about, um, you know, send, send her flowers. And also why don't you pick Wes up one of those, Sorry, you got shot in the gut bouquets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is all very awkward for for Angel. He doesn't know how to handle any of it. Like, he went from being a drunken lout to an evil dude who doesn't give a shit about anybody's feelings to a morally gray kind <laughs> of guy to briefly being a hero. And and he doesn't know how to handle the the more emotional aspects of being a hero. Yeah. 
which I mean, it's a journey. It's a journey that he's on. I feel like it's still one of my very favorite elements of of either show, but Angel in particular, is how he dealt with faith and how he continues to deal with faith because we I don't think it's happened yet. Have we already had the episode where he visits her in prison? I can't remember if that was earlier this I season think that's or not. Season three? I'm oh. not positive. Okay, okay. Um anyways, his his whole behavior around faith, I feel like, is uh a high water mark for him and so Absolutely. He he's he's still learning, but um anyways, we get uh a all right, well, let's talk about Gunn first. So so Gunn's dilemma in this episode, his his crucible in this episode, is um, what gang does he belong to? Cause, right. Because uh, Rondell and George, uh, two of his gang buddies that uh, helped save Wesley when he got shot a few episodes back, they turn up, they're going out, out on, a, on a job, they need to borrow Gunn's truck and, you know, Gun obviously is like awesome. Let's go, but he's got he's got a mission here, anyways. So he's torn in two in two directions, and of course, because he's not there with his street friends, George ends up getting killed. More guilt placed on Gun. I don't think that this episode certainly, and I don't know if the show ever uh, points out how difficult it must be for Gun that earlier in the show he had to kill his own sister because she got turned into a vampire and could not be trusted. Then last episode, he saw Harmony get what looked like a free pass. Right. Um, and now he has to burn one of his best friends because they don't know if he has been turned or not. Um, I don't remember if the show ever like calls that stuff out but i certainly thought about it it definitely doesn't specifically i feel like a lot of what his future arc where he's just the muscle Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it starts a little bit here like it's the main uh like impetus for it is when fred chooses wes but like i feel like the seeds of it are here where uh he he sees that um he he's just um like he himself is the weapon yeah and he needs to like in this case he's spreading himself too thin but um he like he sees himself as as the asset and when his friends say they just want his truck like you can see in jay's face how like fucked up that is for him he's just like this not only is he surprised and hurt but he's just like this isn't right this is not how the world works yeah um so cordy's being literally ripped apart by visions gun feels you know pulled in two directions uh and he's questioning which team he should be on um we get for me the most heartbreaking thing in the episode i mean my biases are clear to anybody that listens to this show but the most heartbreaking thing about this entire episode for me is 
Wesley's phone call to his dad. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's so, <laughs> if there are listeners who, you know, in the far future have the benefit of having all of these podcast episodes already completed and they're, you're just binging and listening to them back to pack. It must be frustrating for you to hear me talk about how I don't remember what I talked about two episodes ago, but I cannot remember if we've already in angel had the really, the really dark confession of Wesley about what his relationship with his father was like. I think this is actually kind of the first hint. Okay. Like, um, I think this is when it, it starts getting seeded into the show. Okay. I know that happens. I just, I couldn't remember where this falls on that spectrum, but regardless, spoiler alert, Wesley has a bad situation, (laughs) a bad relationship with his father. Uh, Wesley has daddy issues. Um, and, even if this is your first hint of that, it is still because Alexis Denisoff does a phenomenal job of portraying this. Uh, it's still easy to read. Um, the, um, I don't know the hangdog look on his face when he's all excited to give his father this news. And, you know, you can just tell what's being said on the other end of the line. Wesley's like, no, no, of course I won't get fired. Well, Yes, I was that one time or whatever. I mean, it's so, that's so heartbreaking to yeah. watch poor Wesley just looking for validation and obviously is just not going to get it from his father. Yeah, I think the Whedonverse writers as a whole have issues with dads. There are a lot of daddy issues <laughs> in these shows, yeah. Um,. What else? What um, is that? The whole group, Angel, Cordelia, Gunn, Wesley. Yeah. Um. What else do we need to talk about? I I guess uh, at the top of the show when I said that these two episodes, the two seventeen and two eighteen, are kind of like uh, companion pieces or, or sides of a coin. I feel like disharmony. This is oversimplifying, so feel free to call me out or, or we can discuss this, but it felt like disharmony, um, leaned a little more into the idea of, you know, uh, some people, uh, are just beyond help. Like some evil will choose to stay evil while this episode leans more into the, you know, give someone a chance. Maybe they'll, come back from the edge or whatever i mean those are those are both valid themes to explore i just thought it was interesting that we get those two back to back uh so i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i mean obviously we know Lindsay does not turn over over a new leaf but this episode is a standalone that looks like what's being delivered right yeah i don't know um it's definitely not something that that Angel learns because even uh, even as he wins, he's being petty with the <laughs> with the sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, semi-relatedly, we should discuss the uh, Wolfram and Hart, Lila and Lindsay line storyline of the episode. Okay. With um, like 
Lindsay's just sort of realizing that he, he as golden boy, like he didn't do anything to be golden boy. Right. In fact, he's messed up a lot. <laughs> yeah. He screwed up so many times. It's amazing that he's still employed and alive and alive. Yeah. And, uh, we see Lila struggling to, to maintain her position and, and working ridiculously hard to, uh, to show that she's an asset to the, to the company and constantly getting overlooked. There's definitely some, uh, the workplace is not equal vibes going. Oh yeah. And, um, it is both a good thing that that uh, Lindsay does at the end, where he explains how amazing Lila is at her job, and kind of like a little patronizing all at the same time. Like it's it's because of the situation and not necessarily Lindsay, I don't think, but like no one in that boardroom would have have recognized any of that if it wasn't coming from Lindsay, yeah. the white dude. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting... So, yeah, I have mixed feelings on that boardroom scene because, as I already said, Lindsay's whole evil hand speech <laughs> and demonstrating what the evil hand will make him do, fucking brilliant. Um, but it it is a little awkward to watch so first of all it had been teased throughout the episode uh that uh, you know at this meeting they're gonna choose one of us one of mm-hmm. us is gonna get kept and the other is gonna get let go um that dynamic has been played out a couple times across the series at this point but often particularly in the Whedonverse, the broader Whedonverse, that kind of thing is often a setup for you know uh, Lila's feeling really insecure. Uh, Lindsay is the golden boy. Of course, he's going to get it. And then there's a twist where they're like, our new head of, uh, you know, special projects is Lila Morgan. And Lindsay's like, wait, what? That kind of setup. I mean, that happens in the Whedonverse all the time. Right. In this instance, um, that's not the twist that was coming. What was coming was exactly what they thought was happening. Lila was about to get completely ignored and they were going to hand it to their, I mean, you know, uh, the, the cishet white guy was going to fail upwards basically. Yep. So, I mean, that was an awkward thing to see. And then even though the scene itself was, it was great to hear him say all those nice things about Lila. Um, I'm not a hundred percent positive how much of that he meant and how much of that was him just, you know, withdrawing from the competition and setting her up to get the job. Um, And the final thing about it, well, two things played for laughs. And uh, I, in the moment I thought it was funny but it's, it's also kind of icky. It's the fact that his evil hand on the way out the door, you know, pinched, yeah. her, pinched her ass. Um, But the look on her face afterwards where like, she just came very, very close to something very bad happening. Uh, uh, and it got turned around and she got the job, but 
she didn't really get the job. Right. And the look on her face was very troubling. Um, I know where Lila is going. Uh, there's some great Lila Morgan stuff coming. Uh, I don't remember how we get there. Like, I don't remember from this point where we are right now with Lila to the next sort of big Lila development that I'm dreaming of in a future season. I don't remember the middle ground, so not entirely sure what's coming up next for Lila. I think it's it's lots of little moments. Um, you know, she she plays foil to Angel and sometimes works with him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, tries to recruit Wes when he becomes scruffy Wes. Dark, dark Wes, man. yeah. <laughs> um, the whole Dark Wes and Lila thing is the, the next big thing. Mm-hmm dreaming of i know i mean we'll talk about it when we get there but i know that that was a controversial thing in the fandoms really yeah there were at least at the time i remember there were fans that were very upset by that whole thing the dynamic between those two characters i don't remember how i felt about it at the time but i love it now <laughs> yeah yeah anyways i guess the important thing is lila at the end of this episode she's clearly shook uh, she's clearly does not know how to feel, but she does get her mojo back. She does get her swagger back big time mm -hmm. eventually. So anyways, anything else to say about this episode? Um, I think that's it. Except for like, everybody always remembers the evil hand boardroom scene. A lot of this episode is like, there's lots of funny moments, but like a lot of it is dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I always think of it as a funny light episode. And then when I watch it, I'm like, Oh, right. They're farming bodies. Yeah. That's at wow. least, at least one of which just gets killed outright. Um, they yeah, don't really, like a couple, a couple of a couple angel saves a couple that don't look like they had had anything done yet. The implication is that the other two or three bodies that were there that had already been harvested yeah. uh, go up in flames, I guess, yeah. when the place blows up. So, anyways. Yeah, it's a... It's, I mean, Angel does a, an, an amazing job of walking the line. Not even really walking the line, of just fully embracing the darkness and the humor. Mm -hmm. um, but we're... This season has had its dark moments. And obviously, there's more, much more darkness. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, but let's move into our final episode uh, that also has some darkness, but is starting to head us into the into some goofy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, episode two nineteen, belonging, original air date May first, two thousand one, uh, written by Sean Ryan. the The final episode uh, that Sean Ryan is credited with writing. He goes on to what does he do after this? The Shield is that his big thing? I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's, like, it's not his big thing because he's got lots of big things, but uh, that was the first big thing. Yeah, that's the first big thing that uh, follows this. Anyway, so written by Sean Ryan, uh, directed by Turi Meyer, which I don't recognize that name. I'm not sure. Uh, she did Offspring and Forgiving. Okay. Okay. Um, which I think are both next season. Yeah, yeah. So this might be the first, her first director. 
role on this show. Uh, yeah. All right. So this is the episode that I referred to as it's really kind of a prologue to the three episode arc finale. And technically I could have talked about it next week, <laughs> but <laughs> here we are. So how do we feel about belonging? Um, there's a lot I like about it. I love cheapskate old man angel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every they'll time ta they'll take that off the bill, right? <laughs> such, a, such a great line. Every time they like mention money, Angel is always so cheap and I love it. It's just like it's ridiculous how like you you don't think of him as old because David Boreanaz right. and then he just pulls that out and you're like I'm not Here's cheap. Your cardigan, old man, have a seat. <laughs> I'm not old. I'm just or I'm, I'm not cheap. I'm just old. Exactly. I think is what he says. <laughs> Um, I, I like, um, a lot of, of little things. I love having Lauren as like a major character, a major player. Yeah. Um, yeah, that happened. That happened. Lauren's name this, this episode. Yes. He finally gets a name. I continue to refer to him as Lauren and, uh, people who are watching along for the first time are like, where are you getting this Lauren from? But yes, yes. he's finally... He's finally named. And I'd forgotten the whole joke of I, I prefer Green. I prefer Lorne, but I don't really tell people that because Green. <laughs> and uh, that joke would have been enough. But the fact that it's followed up by Angel going, of course, like Angel just gets it. Yes. And cracks up. He's like, Lorne Green? Bonanza? I also got it because my mother was a huge Bonanza fan. And uh -huh. so she watched reruns all the time that I was growing up. So I thought it was funny. Yeah. But like. I totally understand Cordelia and Gunn being like blank stares. Right. I also like how it shows the, the running joke is that Angel, you know, is a is a Luddite and ha does not understand pop culture or whatever, because, you know, in season one, there was the line of I don't own a TV or whatever. I, I think people just assume that means, oh, Angel's never seen a movie in his life. That's not true. We get multiple right. occasions where he, you know, talks about how, he, you know, he loves this movie or whatever. And obviously he was a big fan of Bonanza. So he's seen pop culture. It's just not. I feel pop. like a lot of his pop culture watching days are like between um, coming like once he's come to America and he just kind of like. He starts to, to he goes from like rat eater to. Uh, guy who's just kind of a little morally gray and trying to keep to himself and not in, get involved in anything. He spent a lot of time in front of the tube during those years. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's obviously absorbed pop culture because he knows Mandy. Exactly. Come on. Anyways. Um, and I love the introduction of Fred. Yeah. I, uh, I love Fred. I, I feel I don't like the Pylea arc. It's a little too goofy and a little too out there for me. Right. Like there are parts, like there are scenes that I think are funny and, and great, but I mostly do not like the arc. And um, it's weird because I love Fred mm -hmm. and this is where we get her. Yeah. But No, I, I think I'll, I'll see how I feel on this rewatch, but I think I'm in the same position as you i i think that there's some good stuff obviously there's great stuff that comes out of the pilea arc 
Fred, chief among them. Um, I think there's also character growth for Wesley that happens that's really important. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I also think the Pilea stuff is just a. Di I mean, so famously, this whole thing came about, or I should say, infamously, maybe apocryphally. I believe the story goes that um, for scheduling reasons they had to lose christian kane pretty quickly and that's why he was written out in that ep anyways there was some shuffling that had to happen at the end of this season uh and and uh whedon apparently uh jokingly was like well can't we just like go through the looking glass can't we just do a wizard of you know a, a, an alice in wonderland thing or whatever which is literally what the next arc is i realize we're talking a lot about the pilea arc and we're not there yet but um Alice in Wonderland is another thing where I'm like, there's some cool stuff in it, but on the whole, I'm not a bit, <laughs> I'm yeah, not a fan. Same. There, there's a, uh, and in the, in the context of Angel, it dips a little too far into the goofy and the, and the weird for me. But before we get to all the, <laughs> the, uh, the too much goofy and weird, we've got uh, just hints of goofy and weird in this. I agree with you. I also like it uh, when Lorne steps out of Caritas and gets involved in the story. Um, and um, Andy Hallett, God rest his soul, yeah. uh, is just charm personified. So um, any opportunity to see him uh, get more than just like, you know, a two minute scene and right. to see him interact with the other characters, just great stuff. And also that opening with Superstition. Yes, oh, one of my so favorite good. songs of all time. Man, good stuff. Um, let's see. It was also nice to see Lauren interacting with, like, other another demon from his home world. Yeah. And, like, a family member. Right. And see, see that dynamic. Because so far, he's just been, like, the the cool kind of chill dude who uh, gives wise advice, sometimes cryptic wise advice, but wise advice. Yeah. And, and to see that like another aspect of his character is great. Agree. Um, let's see. Um, oh, here we go. I'd made a note of all of the, uh, everyone is struggling with issues of identity. Um, yeah, okay, so Angel's feeling out of place trying to reintegrate with the group um, to the point where he actually, in this episode at least, he actually kind of starts to fill the goofy Pratt Folly Wes role from earlier where he's he's making a lot of ridiculous mistakes or whatever. Yeah, he's, he's very bumbly this yeah, episode. Yeah, um, obviously Wesley and his whole father thing. Uh, Cordy is struggling with the pains of the pain of her visions. Um, and, uh, I can't believe I had forgotten about this. Uh, the, the whole reason that they were celebrating at the beginning of the show, beginning of the episode, uh, she gets a national commercial, uh, yes. which this brings with it the end of her acting career on the show. Yeah. I think, I think the season three episode birthday is the next time. And it's obviously unique. Alternate universe. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is it. I think she learns a very, very painful lesson about the world of acting in this. Yeah. Uh, it's also, that whole commercial is also a microcosm 
of the entire Pylea arc. The director calls her princess. Uh, he makes her wear a skimpy outfit, which looks a lot like what she ends up wearing in Pylea. Um, Angel refer says something about uh, him treating her as a slave, uh, which is in the Pylea thing. And there's also the scene uh, where Angel walks onto the set and like just kind of looks up, at, closes his eyes uh-huh. and leans back and absorbs the fake sunlight and says... Now, I'm going to misquote this, because I think what I'm going to quote is what he says in Pylea. Can we just all marvel at how much fire I'm not on or something like that? But in the in the in this one, he's he says that Cordy asks him what he's doing. And he says, uh, standing in the sun on the beach, not catching fire. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I but that, that was... scene also is very uh, you got to wonder how much of that is taken from back behind the scenes on set behavior. Yeah. I want to leave with the director. I, I want to know, or maybe I don't want to know, but I wonder what that was like for charisma because I know the importance, the, the it's, it's not a joke, but like, the point of the scene is that she's being forced to wear uncomfortably skimpy clothes in order to, you know, sell herself. Um, but the character of Cordelia, never quite that skimpy, but they've, uh, Cordelia has been objectified. Charisma Carpenter yes. has been objectified <clears throat> on the show <clears throat> and beside, behind the scenes, obviously. I don't know. I just, hindsight being twenty twenty, I just, mm-hmm. I, I imagine what it was like for her doing all of this stuff right now. Yeah. And uh, I used to think the scene where uh, Angel is telling Wes and Gunn about, you know, what she's going through on set. And then they all just kind of pause and think about her on a bikini. Yeah. And now I'm just like, ew. Yeah. I'm, I'm positive. That's a scene that used to play as funny. And on this this watch, I was like, "Oh no, let, please, let's not do that, please." Yeah. Can we can we George Lucas this shit and take that scene <laughs> out? Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> what else? What else do we have? I'm trying to make sense of my notes here. Um, we all right. Well, let's talk about the setup for the Pylea thing and the introduction of Fred, I had actually forgotten that we saw Fred. I forgot that we saw Amy Acker right. in this. Um, so that was a p- very pleasant surprise. Um, but we, so Lauren is explaining what his home world is like. Um, and this exchange is very tell like like this stood out to me he says talk about screwed up values a world of only good and evil black and white no gray no music no art just champions roaming the countryside fighting for justice boring got a problem solve it with a sword no one ever admits to having actual feelings and emotions let alone talks about them can you imagine living in a place like that so if you're just reading that if you're just listening to lorne say that that is genuinely at least to a sap 
bleeding heart artist like me, that is genuinely sad and tragic and I don't like it at all. Um, but you're actually watching Angel's face yeah. while Lauren is saying all of this. And it's exactly everything he wants. And he's, yeah, he's loving it. Like he can imagine that. And it sounds great. Um, and when we get to the Pilea storyline, uh, he certainly revels in it for a while. Um, but yeah, no, that sounds, uh, it, in endless, countless discussions ad nauseum about, you know, the, the nature of the series angel. Um, it is often, we often talk about the nature of good and evil and black, black and white and shades of gray and all that stuff. So I think uh, for angel with the, the, the uh, longing he feels for that sort of world. Mm-hmm. Like the Pylea arc kind of answers that with be careful what you wish for. Right. Yeah. Um, how are you supposed to joust with someone when you partially agree with their point of view? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, here's a thing that I've seen other people hint at and I have not done enough research um, my ASB plus people are rolling their eyes at me right now I haven't done enough research and, or my brain has not retained it well enough to really be able to follow this thread but I'm going to bring this up I've seen people talk about the fact that this what's going on in this episode uh, is further evidence that Jasmine controversial figure in the uh, in the angel fandom, uh, that Jasmine is Jasmine and, or the powers that be are pulling strings at this point. Um, like that this whole thing was orchestrated specifically to get Cordelia whisked away to Pylea because Cordelia is starting to not be able to handle the visions. And the suggestion is that they were, that the powers that be were trying to, introduce her to Gru, who is a half demon, who hopefully she would pass the visions on right. to. Um, and anyway, somehow this all ties into the Jasmine thing. I, I, I'm a fan of season four. I'm one of those annoying angel fans. That's like, no season four actually was really good. Um, but I do not remember all the finite details uh, of the nature of Jasmine and how that supposedly ties into I mean, I guess there are a lot of fan theories out there that Jasmine is responsible for basically everything we've seen up to this point. Well, that's certainly how Jasmine would like you to see it. Okay. I think um, the show would be less into that. Last episode, you guys were talking about, um, you know, uh, if nothing you do matters and all that matters is what you do. Right. And uh, I think... I don't remember which episode it is, but Gunn says something similar, which is so somebody, I think this is actually in season four. Somebody, any, somebody is, uh, somebody might be calling some of the shots, but you never know which ones. So they all, they all count. They all matter. Yeah. And, um, I think if, if Jasmine was controlling everything, then, none of those shots 
are called by someone else. So I think maybe she's pulling some strings. Right. Maybe the other powers are. Yeah. But certainly not everything is orchestrated. Okay. Well, there certainly has been a suggestion that the, that, and, and again, I don't know how much of this is like researched and believable and how much of this is just fan theory. But I think given the fact that earlier in this, in this episode, we get a scene where Cordelia, who should know better, uh, being watched by uh, Wesley, who absolutely knows better, and by Lorne, who definitely should know better, Cordelia just opens up this ancient tome and starts reading from it. Yep. <laughs> Let's go all the way back to Welcome to the... It wasn't Welcome to the Hellmouth. What episode was it? It was very, very early in season one, Buffy. Please don't read Latin in front of the books. Um, I think that one was actually season four. Of Buffy? Buffy? Yeah. That's where that line comes? happens in uh, Giles' apartment. Oh, man. I thought it was in the library. Anyways, the point is, with, it's a long hard-earned lesson of all of the scoobies and everybody don't don't open a book and read it um so it's a trope even uh, yeah 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 so i i think some of this might be fans going why would she be so stupid follow that up with um how did she just get whisked away into that portal and nobody else did and she was literally standing practically arm in arm with wesley and he didn't even notice um the the cousin go through but you don't see her go through right she's just right disappears. now i mean i that could easily be written off as i mean it's just the dodgy effects and mm-hmm. you know storytelling to th- they tweak some things for the shock value or whatever i mean the show shows do that all the time but I suspect there are fan theories that stem out of all of this like that was weird why would that happen oh because it was a conspiracy well, you know, maybe this is one of the strings someone was pulling and maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Listeners, um, let's follow that string and see where it leads. <laughs> Something that I want to throw out to the audience because it's uh, something that has struck me before, but I don't have the knowledge to really explore it properly. Um, do you think that Lorne is coded Jewish? I, I am not qualified to answer that question. I don't think that I've ever considered that. It's definitely something that I've thought of before based on my experience with my Jewish friends, which um, there's a few of them. There's not a lot of them. So it's it's limited experience. But I've always thought that um, he seems coded Jewish because of like superficial things. Like he's involved in show business. He's um, he's always using pet names and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but also like his family dynamic. Um, there's always a lot of uh, stereotypes around uh, Jewish families and their criticisms of their children. And he, he, he uh, his mom sees him as a failure. His family sees him as a failure. 
because he's not like them. Yeah. And just a little, a little uh, Easter egg. Lauren Green is was Jewish. Yeah. So uh, I mean, you could always this episode <laughs> that makes me think of it. So maybe it's just because Lauren Green is Jewish, but you... I would love to hear from the more scholarly listeners and guests on this. I, I looked up on a slayage about anything. There's really not a whole lot of discourse on Lorne at all. That's tragic. And um, most of it's around his music. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't see anything about the possibility. So I could just be like applying stereotypes. I'm not sure. And I would love to hear from someone who knows better. Well, I think I, I, I was just sort of going with you. Uh, I mean, I was just sort of taking in what you were saying until you pointed out the whole family thing, which I recognized as a, I won't say stereotype. I recognized as a trope, but did not put it together as like a specifically Jewish trope. I just, it clicked in my head that, Oh, this is, you know, the, the disapproving, probably overbearing mother that, uh, you know, it definitely is not like, there's a specifically Jewish one. There's a specifically Catholic one. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the sort of general overarching one. But yeah. uh, if you watch My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. Or, yeah. Um, the relationship between um, her and her mom is very adversarial in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, side note, um, the actor who plays her boss Daryl Whitefeather was the guy who stabbed himself in the eye last episode. What? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. I looked it up because I was like, I know that guy. Oh my! I I can see both people in my head, and I am not putting that together. That is crazy. I had no idea. Wow. Mind blown. Um, yes. Okay. Well, I I sure listeners. Um, uh, what is our what is our damn email? Is it conversations with dead people? I think it's cons uh, with dead. Cons with dead at gmail.com. Good lord, I'm a good podcast host. Um, yeah, uh, write in and let us know if there's any if you have any thoughts on the the Lorne coded as Jewish thing. I know that Lorne is th- the most common coding that I hear applied to Lorne is sexuality. The mm-hmm. question of you know whether he's what his sexual preference is, which is never openly addressed in the show. Right. Uh, yeah, he always seemed like pretty open. Um, but something that I don't know if it's because they just didn't want to explore romantic relations with a green guy with horns or yeah. what, but it always, I always felt like he might be um, ace. Mm-hmm. Not not aromantic, but just asexual. Mm-hmm. And he just appreciates the physical form of pretty people. Right. Yeah, because I, I, I... My memory's dodgy, but um, I can't think of an instance where Lorne seems to have any sort of, like, romantic chemistry with anybody. So he's just very... Uh, 
touchy feely, emotionally mm-hmm. touchy feely with like everybody. So. Yeah. Anyways. So where does that, where did the episode leave us? Uh, Gunn didn't even get to be involved with any of that stuff. Any of the, the Lauren stuff at all. Gunn wasn't there. Um, so I can't remember how Gunn gets involved in the pilot. I know he does, but I can't, I cannot remember when Gunn comes into the picture, but I think it's after Cordelia goes missing. Right. Um, yeah. So that is the setup for the next three episodes, the last three episodes of the season. Uh, Cordelia has been, we learn a lot about, well, we think we learn a lot about Lauren and where he comes from and we meet, part of his family and his family seems questionable at best and now Cordelia has been whisked away presumably to Lauren's homeworld um and that's kind of where we're left like this episode doesn't it asks a bunch of questions about the characters and we don't really get any answers about anything so well as you said it's kind of the prologue yeah it's the setup um just scanning through my notes again to see oh another funny angel line that i meant to call out uh when he says i mean walking i get but power walking why not just (laughs) run for a shorter time weird (laughs) Uh, lots of the writers poking fun at los angeles there's that great scene where uh they're at the library and they'll librarian is like oh you must be here for the children's reading yes and i love how like lauren just rolls with it nothing seems to phase him he's he's like you think like we learn that that um lauren as as a a demon he's kind of he's coded as other Mm -hmm. whether it's it's queer or something else he's always coded as other and I think they do a better job handling like racial stuff through him than they do with Gunn. Like, yeah, they, they're good at making metaphors, and yeah. they're not so good at just writing a black guy. I feel like genre fiction, a lot of genre fiction, does that. Like science fiction using, you know, androids or aliens to code as the other, right, tends to be more effective than when they try to do that with an African-American actor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. What, I don't know if that says more about the entertainment industry or us as viewers. <laughs> um, I think it's probably more to do with um, white people as creators. Yeah. I just want everyone to know also that I'm white and I do not hate white people. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have, I have a very, uh, conservative mom so that's her interpretation when i start talking like this gotcha but i think um because you know it's it's often white people who are writing about the other experience when they are not the other yeah that that uh when they're deliberately trying to do it they have a much harder time and tend to as i may have been doing just a minute ago kind of bringing the stereotypes in and not really necessarily going any deeper. I mean, I, yeah, I'm very, 
I'm, I'm terrified about talking about these kind of things because I just don't feel like I am nuanced enough to not get myself into trouble talking on these subjects. But I get what you're saying. Um, I mean, that is a thing that the show will continue to try to address. Uh, and they do actively use gun to try and address that. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the show gets a little better as it goes along in dealing with that kind of stuff in a less metaphorical and a more literal way, but we'll see as we go. In the meantime, uh, any closing thoughts on this or any of these three, three episodes or anything? Um, anything, anything, just <laughs> what are your thoughts on anything? Cats are cute. They are. Chocolate is good. Uh. <laughs> I will fight you. <laughs> um, you know, with um, these episodes, they don't like my initial thought when uh, I was looking at how things were divided up was these are just put together because they don't the two go, don't really go with anything else. And then uh, belonging, it would make it a four episode at, at, episode of the podcast that might be and that would be a lot that might be why but he did it they do kind of like sync up with the the as a transitional thing mm-hmm. they they um they work together really well they're they're not just a transition from the the dark arc to the goofy end of season arc yeah but they're like doing that within the story with with the characters everyone's kind of trying to figure out their place in things again i'm always looking for opportunities to to throw my friend and co-host uh, arlo wiley under any available bus and so i've mentioned frequently for listeners uh edification that when this show when conversations with dead people was created he was going to be my co-host and he's the one that came up with the schedule He's the one that broke all of these episodes down into what we would talk about when. And so um, anytime there's a question, anytime somebody is like, why did you talk about those two episodes together? Blame Arlo. Um, well, but in this case, it's compliment Arlo. Well, I know. And it pains me more often than not on this particular subject. He did a pretty good job of choosing what episodes were going to go together. And I feel like, um, that as we discussed them, I even became more aware of how thematically these three tie together because all three of them really lean into the uh, our heroes trying to I you know locate their new identity within the group. So I, I think, damn it, Arlo, I hate when I have to say kind things about you, but <laughs> good job. Um, but yeah, and and yes, it it might very well have been that he just didn't want to end the season two discussion on a four episode arc. But anyways, there we are. So next time around, uh, yeah, I'll be joined by um, returning guest uh, Johnny Ho uh, to discuss the final three episodes. I'm not in the outro yet. I'm not. I'm bumbling this, Melanie. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me to talk about these. Um, is there 
anything you want the listeners to know about you, life, the universe, anything, uh, any way they can stalk you or. Uh, I'm on Twitter as research nerdery. That's all one word. Um, or you can hit me up in the, the Facebook group. That's pretty much it. Uh, okay. <laughs> you need to like write a book or something. We need to, you need to, you need to have wares to pimp on this show. I will look into that specifically for you, Paul. Yes. Thank you. Just so, <laughs> just so we can have something to pimp for you at the end of the show. I mean, if anybody's in the DC area and they need landscaping, I, I can help them out with that. Well, there you go. <laughs> See? Um, no, this was great. Thank you, Melanie, again. Um, do we have we got you scheduled? For, yes. What's the next uh, thing? I think I don't remember which episodes it is, but I think I am scheduled a couple times next season. All right. Let me look really quick. I thought I was getting better about having this pulled up. Um, oh, yeah. The next one I've got you down for uh, are the. Oh, Lord. <laughs> So you're scheduled to come back for uh, episodes four, five, and six of season three, which will include, among other things, the episode Billy. Yes, yes. I'm here for Billy, and then I'm here for Waiting in the Wings, which both of which I'm really excited yes. for. Yes. Well, God help us on Billy. That'll <laughs> be that'll be a discussion. So. Looking, looking, looking forward, question mark, to, <laughs> to that discussion. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again. And uh, thank you all at home for joining us and listening along. You can find links to this and all of the past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts um, and virtually any other medium that podcasts come from except Spotify, because I still haven't gotten around to doing that because I'm a horrible person. Uh, anywhere that you have an opportunity, any podcaster that lets you do this, I would really appreciate it. Appreciate you if you would rate us or write us a review. Uh, help spread the word, find new listeners. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at uh, conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on the Facebook at at on the facebook uh the facebook the face space at you're conversations getting, you're getting older as i as i watch you're watching me fade uh conversations with dead people anyways like i said next week uh, is johnny ho uh, he and i are going to take a strange trip to a strange land as we discuss the final three episodes of the season 220 over the rainbow 221 through the looking glass and 222 there's no place like plurts glurb it's always fun to say. Until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. But he has a picture See his life's golden ring Circles me with love and laughter I can't feel a thing The sky People gonna pray and crawl It's gonna rain down